0: Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. Hello, and welcome to The Storytellers. Robert Gwaltney is an author of Southern Fiction. He resides in Atlanta, Georgia, where he's an active member of the literary community and serves as the fiction editor for the Blue Mountain Review. During the day, he is an active member of the nonprofit world where he works. He's also at night an author, an author supporter, and a bit of a Facebook maverick. And we'll talk about all of those things. His debut novel, The Cicada Tree, will be released by Moonshine Cove Publishing in February of 2022. Robert, welcome to the microphone.
1: Thank you so much, Grace. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: I'm so excited. And this is really a departure for me, even though we don't have many episodes. I think this is episode number 20. I've never interviewed someone whose novel isn't out yet, but I am falling in love. I'm halfway through the cicada tree, and I'm so excited to have you be my premier pre-debut author. So again, thank you so much. There's so much for us to talk about today, and one of the things I do is I do a lot of research on my guests, and I was Curious, one of the things I found is you talk about your three feral brothers and showing up in kindergarten in your Sears Roebuck jeans and a sequin tutu. <laughs> right. Tell us about that family.
1: So I, so I, I'm the oldest of four boys and um, I think that there's probably 12 years between myself and my youngest brother. Um, and of course, you know, having that age difference, I was always probably a third parent in a lot of ways, um, sort of a built-in babysitter. And, uh, I'm the, the typical first child type a personality, you know, well-mannered, um, studious. And, um, my brothers, as I say, say in my bio, were, fe- were quite feral, ran wild. <laughs> um, so as a kid, yeah, the, the, the tutu story. So in kindergarten, um, actually it was preschool and there was this creative play area um, where th- there was a kitchen and in one corner there were these dance costumes and um, you know, all the other boys were playing um, with trucks on the carpet. And I, my eye I caught these beautiful spangly ballerina. Tutus. <laughs> so I, so I remember putting the tutu on, um, you know, remembering the teacher looking at me, you know, out of the corner of her eye. You know, we're we're in rural South Georgia, so that probably wasn't something that she saw frequently. Um, so yeah, I think that that sort of set the tone with the relationship between myself and Miss Dixie, my preschool teacher. <laughs>
0: and said, said so clearly what a creative spirit you have. You came to my attention through Kathy L. Murphy and the Pulpwood Queens. And that's just an amazing online, largest online book club in the world. And you, every single Saturday night, you and Kathy L. Murphy do wonderful things about cinema. And I would like to hear about how cinema has influenced your writing because there is such a cinematic feel to the cicada tree.
1: I think the film absolutely has had an impact on my voice as a writer, you know, gr- growing up in in South Georgia, feeling isolated. I did spend quite a lot of time in front of the television, watching old movies, obsessed with, with, with old movies. And um, I remember in, um, and, and I'm really, really drawn to um, film and books with strong female protagonists. And uh, that's what I enjoy to write. That's what I enjoy writing. So I do, Um, And I'm a very visual person, so uh, I think that that's probably what comes across in my writing. But definitely film. Um, I see, you know, my novel unfurling before me like a film in many regards.
0: And it plays that way. It is so rich in how you've written each and every word. And I didn't give a lot of thought until I interviewed Claire Fullerton about what really is Southern writing. And Claire says, as I think you know, Every word, every sentence needs to sparkle. And I was so excited. um, Not many people know that authors have book trailers. And your book trailer is one of the most powerful book trailers. Everybody will read your book just if they go to your website and look at the book trailer. And I was delighted that Claire Fullerton narrated it. But tell me what you think of Southern fiction as. Why does it happen there and not any place else?
1: Well, I mean, I think that well, I think that a lot of it's driven by voice and southern voice. And, you know, in any voice really is personality and and tone and rhythm. And I think that when you're looking at personality, that component of voice, um, it really is your worldview. And I think that, you know, quite a few Southerners have similar worldview in that uh we grew up in the same place. So there's that sense of place that comes through um in voice. Um it's, it's, it's hard to say, you know, what is Southern, what is Southern fiction? Um, but I think that it, it has to do with the voice and the pace. I think that it has to do with tone, especially depending on genre, you know, what I write being Southern Gothic, there's a, um, uh, there's a specific rhythm and cadence to it. Um, and I think that the language um, is driven by the environment Um that we live in in the south so it, it, it's hard to say i've been asked that question before and i've never been able to knock the answer out of the park
0: <laughs> well i think that it, that's a valid answer though and i think we each bring our own voice to our writing i heard Lainey cameron talk about her writing and her pace and i want to talk more about and we'll circle back to that of, of your pace but i think that Lainey talks about how she's a really quick writer you know she she not necessarily that she writes quickly but the pace of her book is quick. And I come from a New York background, and where I would love to say in my writing that I love to throw in descriptors, you have a scene in your book where 11-year-old, I think she's 11, Annalise, is in a truck with her mom, and she's on her way to this amazing mansion called Mistletoe and I think if I was writing that, I'd say, so the 11-year-old girl was sitting in the truck. She was with her mom, and she came through a bunch of trees, and then she saw the big house in front of her. I would like to think I said it more beautifully than that, but your words stopped me in my tracks, and I just am going to paraphrase these because listeners will have to read the real beauty of these words, but I'm wondering if that's a little bit about what Southern fiction is about. When you describe Annalise in the car, it goes something like this. The cab of the truck brightened as the tangled of of quarreling tree branches find forgiveness. So you've got this wonderful image of these quarreling tree branches who find forgiveness, turn loose, letting in the sky, Annalise stares through the cracked windshield at a vista of oaks sprawled across a lawn of Gothic columns emerge, brick columns emerge and come into view. Gravel churns under the slick tires of the truck. All of that tells us so much in just a paragraph. Even the opening scene where Annalise is playing with her friend. In the first three paragraphs, we have great friends, we've got alcoholism, we've got a dead mom, we've got a wonderful caretaker. The words matter and you pack in an awful lot. Where does that sense of writing come from for you?
1: Well, I think that Growing, but words matter, especially when you know, when you grow up in the South. I think that that storytelling is very important, and I, I don't consider myself to be an orator. I'm not a great verbal storyteller. but I've had the opportunity to have um, um, in my close proximity individuals that were uh, grandparents and aunts and uncles and and neighbors who tell stories beautifully, and they take their time. Um, so I, I think that that has a lot to do with with pacing, I think, when you're talking about Southern southern fiction. But for me, um, you know, I write what I love to read and I've always been attracted to lyricism. So there's a certain, um, music plays such an important role in, in my writing. I'm listening to music when, when I'm writing. Um, I mean, thematically, for The Cicada Tree, um, I, I utilize Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata And it's in three parts. And so, really, each movement is an act. So, I try to be mindful of that pacing. Um, I, I think that, you know, if you do it correctly, someone can hear the music, you know, in your words.
0: Absolutely. You get a sense of rhythm and tempo. And I wouldn't have normally used the word tempo, except music is so integral to this plot and to the characters, but that sense of tempo carries you from scene to scene. So do you play? Uh,
1: well, I took one year of piano and I was awful at it, but but I've always admired people who, well, I, I admire anyone who has some extraordinary ability. Um, piano playing, I, I do have a slight musical background. I was in in marching band and concert band from seventh grade through my senior year of high school. Um, but I would not consider myself a great musician But um, I admire it very much. And I admire those people who were good at it.
0: Well, you talk about people who are good at things. Um, one of the things that I loved researching was you got some very good advice from your grandmother about hanging out with people.
1: Yeah, so my first day of first grade, um, my Granny Louise um, and my mom took me into um, to, to Southside Elementary. And I remember my grandmother uh, leaning down before I went into the classroom. And she said, um, always find the smart people in the room and sit next to them. And I, I thought that that was a peculiar thing. I didn't really understand what she meant at that point. But um, as I've gotten older, you know, I certainly understand that those individuals that we um we associate ourselves with in many regards, in many ways, determines um, our trajectory in life.
0: It's it's important to hang out with uh, good people and the smart people are the bonus round, I think.
1: Exactly.
0: You're, this is going to be your debut novel. Have you written anything prior to this?
1: So I have a novel that I, that I wrote. Uh, I probably got about halfway through and put it to the side of, um, which actually, th- what I read in that first novel was what led me to the Cicada Tree. Um, you know, the character Annalise that you spoke of, who's eleven years old. Um, I, I init- was initially a novel that took place in in nineteen seventy something, and um, Annalise was the mother of a young boy, and I was so fascinated, and the, and the young boy was the protagonist, and I was so fascinated by. Annalise and how she how she came to appear on the page to me that I began to wonder and ask myself questions. Well, I wonder what she was like as a girl, and so that's really how the Cicada Tree came to be. (laughs) There was this scene that I wrote, um, and it sort of changed everything for me.
0: Will that novel now emerge as a novel once Cicada Tree is out? No. (laughs) <laughs> I love honest people, Robert. This is wonderful. But isn't that interesting how our characters become so real to us that we begin to wonder, oh, I wonder what she would have done prior to that. So how did you pick 1956, I think it is?
1: 1956. So I, I well, 1956, I think, is is a period of time. Well, so I'm inspired by music and by fashion. And... Um, it, so 1956, what, to me, seemed a period of time in American history where there still was sort of some innocence. And I believe that you can, it's easier for readers to suspend um, disbelief um, when they are in a period of time that was, that was more innocent. And the way that I said, so the cicada tree is, is Southern Gothic with elements of magical realism. So it seemed to me to be a time that was perfect to tell my story in. Um, and also, you know, great fashion in 1956. Uh, there's a character, Cordelia Mayfield, who who um, I really enjoyed writing, and she only wore Christian Dior. And um, Christian Dior was sort of at the height of, of um, his abilities at that point. And uh, thematically, um, with cicadas and... Um, uh, the uh, renewal of life and second chances. Um, that during that period of time, Christian Dior, uh, that period in fashion was called the new look or the new era. So it just seemed to relate to the story that I was trying to tell thematically as well.
0: So tell everybody more about your novel.
1: So so simply, you know, it's a 1956, um, 11-year-old um, piano pro- whiskey-drinking piano prodigy Annalise Newell uh, find encounters the Mayfield family, uh, this family, this very wealthy family that possesses sort of this supernatural, otherworldly beauty that other people refer to as that Mayfield shine. And it's when she first has this, that first encounter really is the inciting incident of the novel. And it's this growing obsession that um, drives Annalise uh, into a series of, of actions which uncovers secrets and ultimately sets off this cataclysmic plague of cicadas.
0: You have this sense of pleasure and pain, agony and ecstasy. What are you trying to get at with that? Because it's very powerful, it's very enticing, um, and I really want to see where this is going to go as I continue Mm -hmm. your book. Well,
1: so, you know, the, the, there's an awakening, you know, in the novel with Annalise. You know, she's, um, she only knows the life that she lives, and then she's exposed to the Mayfields. Um, so, you know, she realizes at that point that, you know, other people live, you know, in different ways. And um, so, sort of that, the, the good kind of hurt also is that, you know, at 11, you know, she she has all of, she has these emerging feelings. And also, you know, so she's sort of on the early cusp of, of her sexuality as well, um, so it's you know a young person trying to figure out um, you know that that fine line between pleasure and pain, and, and as you read as the reader, um, I'll give too much away if I go too deeply into that that good kind of hurt, but she is sort of at odds with herself. Um, you know, it's it it references internal conflict,
0: and you do a really nice job too of being in an 11-year-old girl's head. So why why that too? Because obviously it's out of um, your realm. You're not an 11-year-old girl. So why is the main character there?
1: It's fun. Well, so, so maybe I am an 11-year-old girl at all, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think that, you know, I, um, what I was that boy who had lots of great girlfriends and um, you know, and I loved loved women, loved young girls. And I um, played with, with, with girls. So I, I know that better than, I think in some regards, I know my own sex <laughs> and um, I'm drawn to women and, and young girls because there's a different, that there's a level of intimacy in your friendship that you can have with them that you don't necessarily have with other boys. And I, um, I was raised with some amazing, strong Southern women. So um, I suppose it's just having spent so many time, so much time with, with, with girls growing up and with the, um, the wonderful women, inspirational women in my life that, that drew me to tell that story.
0: Um, Well, they're, they're beautifully drawn. I want to switch gears for a minute to one of the things in your bio that intrigued me says you're an active member of the local literary community. And I have to be honest, I didn't know what that meant, because I should be in I should be involved in my local literary community. And I don't know what that means.
1: So, in Atlanta, um, there's so, I mean, you, can, you can't throw a rock and not hit a writer in Atlanta, Georgia. You know, there are just a lot of writers here, a lot of talented writers, and the community is very supportive. Um, the writing community in general has been extremely supportive, and it certainly made this journey as a debut novelist much easier. But there are lots of opportunities to participate. Um, I don't know, 15 years or so ago, I joined the Atlanta Writers Club. Which is a wonderful club that's supportive of writers at all stages in their careers. So, um, so that's what that's uh, being involved in groups like that. Um, I've had the opportunity to um, to participate in in local conferences, to have friendships with writers. Uh, there is um, a huge book festival that occurs here every year. Called the Decatur Book Festival. Uh, there was the Decatur um, Writer Studio. So, lots of opportunities and groups um, to be able to, to join. They've been great sources of inspiration and support while I've been on this journey.
0: You and I are both very active in the literary community that is virtual. And as we've moved into, um, the pandemic deeper and deeper, um, that seems less and less virtual to us. You know, we, we have true friendships that we've developed now in, you mentioned you joined 15 years ago. Does that mean that you had a book in you 15 years ago? Then you knew it.
1: I always felt like I had a book in me or stories to tell, you know, from a very young age, I felt that I would tell stories, but I wasn't quite sure, um, in what way, you know, I would tell stories, you know, Would would it be through music, you know, would it be through dance, would it be through acting? I just, I I always felt a strong sense of creativity. It wasn't until the third grade where I met a real life writer who lived in Cairo, Georgia, um, who came to my third grade class, who talked about writing and I was just astonished um, that a writer, you know, lived there in Cairo, Georgia. In my mind, I'm thinking that writers lived in far off places that I would never have access to. So, um, I think it was at that moment, that day in that third grade class that um, I felt that it might be possible to, to be a writer. I never really told anyone until some years later. It's really not been within the last, until the last few years that I've felt comfortable to tell people to actually claim the fact that I'm a writer. I think it's a hard thing to say. It always seemed arrogant to me. Oh, I'm a writer. Well, You know, what does that mean exactly? And, you know, I think the first question always is, well, have I read anything that you've written? And, you know, know, until you've got something under your belt, it's always a little awkward. But um, I would challenge individuals who haven't had anything published to claim that right, even if you haven't had anything that seemed the light of the day that you are, in fact, a writer, you know, own it.
0: I think that's great advice. And I think for me too, my writing is also the most naked thing I do where people, I think they do um, sometimes get the impression that writers are boastful people because we have to do so much promoting, um, which is a whole new way of getting our books out. But really it's a very humbling thing. At least I find it. Do you?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a very intimate experience. I think you reveal a lot of yourself in, in certain ways, you know, when you write. I, the the whole um, self-promotion thing is very challenging and awkward for me. Um, it, in some ways, it sort of goes against my Southern upbringing. <laughs> um, and it really wasn't until the last five years that I was even on Facebook. Um, I resisted for a very long time, but it's so important in this day and age, if you're going to write a book that, um, and you're going to continue to write books, that you do have an active presence. It takes a great deal. Of, of time to do. And I'm sort of feeling my way through it.
0: Yeah. I think many of us are. So you said continue to write books. Is there another book in you?
1: Oh, absolutely. So, so I'm struggling. I'm trying to figure out what's next. I've started a, another book, the working titles um, in that quiet earth. Um, when I was um, finishing up the cicada tree, actually um, I end, I love books that, that don't necessarily Uh, resolve in tidy little packages. So, and I, in the cicada tree, in a, in somewhat of a dark place. um, And I I was comfortable with that, but then I, 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 a little nervous about sort of the, the, the traditional reader. So I spoke to the publisher and um, I felt like I had a sense of what I wanted to do with an epilogue. And um, I just finished the epilogue to the cicada tree and sent it off to the publisher on friday so after you know a year or two of, of of working on the cicada tree and coming back to it um i started in working on that epilogue i was i started to ask myself a lot of questions like well well what what happens next you know let's say what what do the lives of these young girls look like four years from now so okay. so there could be you know an, another cicada tree novel Uh, And I actually became obsessed this weekend and I started asking a whole lot of questions. Um, Who would, who would come back? Who would be in the story? What would be the inciting incident? How would I carry it forward? So I have to make some good. So, so my goal ultimately is to have another novel completed by this time next year by January 1st, I need to decide is it going to be in that quiet earth, which I've been working on, or is it going to be, um, another cicada tree novel. So I've got to figure it out.
0: And, and I know that you will. We're coming to the uh, close of our interview. So tell our listeners if there's something quirky about you that we don't know.
1: Something quirky about me. Oh my gosh. Well, right now I um, am wearing a turtleneck and a jacket and sweatpants. <laughs> 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 um, so, but you uh,
0: look fabulous, and I'm in my bedroom slippers. So we're thank all good. You.
1: <laughs> I know it's just that it's just the time of COVID, right? And in um, Zoom, um, quirky. Well, so I think I stated earlier, I was in I was in the band from the seventh grade through high school. So from my sophomore year of high school through um, my senior year of high school, I was the drum major. So I conducted the. I was in charge of the um, the Cairo High School syrup Maker Marching Band. <laughs>
0: Okay. So I'm really good at walking
1: backwards.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Next time I see that commercial where the band leader is walking backwards, I'll think about you. Um, Robert, thank you. Where can people find more about you? How can they get their hands on the cicada tree as soon as possible?
1: So the cicada tree release is 2-22-22. And uh, you can find out more about me by visiting my website at robertlgwaltney.com. And um, the book will be available on Amazon and um, independent bookstores and Barnes & Noble.
0: Thank you, Robert, for being such a great storyteller. This has been a copyrighted episode of The Storytellers by the Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network, and Grace Salmon. Thanks so much for being with us. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon.